Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm April Dimboski. California's state legislature is considering a bill to decriminalize psychedelic drugs. State Senator Scott Wiener's proposed legislation would allow doctors to prescribe psychedelics for treating mental health disorders such as depression and PTSD. It would also allow psychedelics for personal use and expunge criminal records for people with prior convictions for possession. Should psychedelic drugs be decriminalized in California? That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm April Dimboski, health correspondent at KQED. Since Michael Krasny retired in February, you've been hearing a variety of voices in this hour as we searched for a replacement. Now we're happy to announce the search is over. Alexis Madrigal will join Mina Kim as co-host of Forum. You'll hear him in the 9 o'clock hour, and you'll continue to hear Mina at 10. Alexis, who lives in Oakland, comes to us from the Atlantic, where he was a staff writer. For the next month, you'll continue to hear guest hosts like me until Alexis begins on air in late June. Now, on to today's show. Earlier this week, the journal Nature Medicine published results of a study using the psychedelic drug MDMA, known on the party scene as ecstasy, to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. Among research participants who received the drug along with counseling, 67% felt so much better, they no longer qualified for a diagnosis of PTSD. This study adds to a small but growing body of scientific literature exploring the use of psychedelics like MDMA, LSD, and psilocybin as therapy for a range of mental health conditions, including depression, eating disorders, and end-of-life anxiety. A bill now working its way through the California legislature aims to build on this momentum— 
It would allow doctors to prescribe psychedelics for therapeutic use, and it would decriminalize these drugs for personal use. People previously convicted of possession could see their records expunged. We're going to discuss the pros and cons of relaxing prohibitions around psychedelics. Joining us this morning is State Senator Scott Weiner. He represents San Francisco and authored the bill, SB 519. Welcome, Senator Weiner. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. We also have Juliana Mercer, a Marine Corps veteran who used psychedelic therapy to overcome her trauma from her time serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. Juliana, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. We also have two doctors joining us, Dr. Robert Grant, professor of medicine at UC San Francisco. He's been a lead academic voice on decriminalization and psychedelic therapy more broadly. Good morning, Dr. Grant. Good morning to you. And Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, former president of the American Psychiatric Association and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University. Hello, Dr. Lieberman. Do we have you there, Dr. Lieberman? I'm here. I'm here. I'm glad to be with you, and uh, sorry. Wonderful, wonderful. We're happy to have you, too. We're also going to be joined later this hour by Larry Morris. He's the legislative director for California's District Attorneys Association. But first, I'd like to start our conversation off with Juliana. Um, Juliana, you graduated military boot camp one week before September 11th, 2001, and you were in the Marines for 16 years and served two tours of duty, one in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. When did you first discover psychedelics and what kind of relief were you looking for? Um, gosh, it's, it's only been about four years uh, that I first discovered psychedelics it was on accident uh, recreationally. Um, but the very first time that I experienced it, I felt this sense of relief and release and this connection back to my authentic self that I had lost a while ago. And I didn't realize that I had lost her. Um, but that uh, interaction with these psychedelics helped me to recognize um, that there was something going on and there was something wrong and that there was a solution. If you feel comfortable, if you feel comfortable talking about it, what was it about your military experience that led you to look for this relief in psychedelics? Um, yeah, between Iraq and Afghanistan, um, where you know, I saw the traumas of war. Um, in between those two deployments, I spent five years working with our wounded uh, in San Diego at the Naval Hospital. And I did everything that was non-medical, so helping them in a holistic way to get back into their lives with their injuries. And those five years, I saw the direct results of war. I got to see not just the physical trauma, but the mental trauma. And I did my job every day and, you know, did it happily because I was helping my brothers and sisters. But that uh, every day dealing with that and seeing that firsthand, seeing the, the trauma that not only to the service members, but to their families and to their friends and losing quite a few fellow Marines um, and other veterans to suicide um, between two uh, war deployments uh, 
really took a toll on me. And I didn't realize that they had taken a toll on me because I was doing my job every day. And that was, I had to, you know, suck it up, do my job and do it well, because I was taking care of my, my brothers and sisters. And uh, a few years after, you know, exiting the service and uh, continuing to work with nonprofits that help veterans, I felt this, just this loss of, I was just lost and I had a loss of purpose, even though I was doing purposeful work. I had a loss of who Juliana was and who my authentic self was. And when I, my first interaction with these medicines really opened up uh, the acknowledgement that I had suffered a lot of loss and there, there was a lot of grief in there. And it started to help me unpack all of the grief that I had uh, taken and put inside and put away um, and hadn't revisited because I was so busy doing my job and taking care of my Marines. Yeah. Um, so eventually you found a group called the Heroic Hearts Project, and they they specialize in ayahuasca therapy with military veterans. Can you describe what an ayahuasca session looks like? Like, set the scene for us. Where Where do you go? Who's there? How long does it last? Sure. I went to uh, Costa Rica. I went to Soltara. It's a retreat center um, that Heroic Hearts Project helped me and uh, six other veterans get to. Um, you are, we were there for uh, 10 days um, and we had four sessions with ayahuasca. Um, these are uh, these are sessions where you drink uh, the medicine, which is a root um, that's found in the Amazon, and you it's administered by a, uh, a shaman, and you go into these sessions um, with intentions of what you want to accomplish and what you want to open up, and you are there for, you know, I, I think a session lasts anywhere from six to 12 hours and you're unpacking a lot of things that are in these ayahuasca and psychedelic medicines really open up your uh open up your empty they open up your heart and they let you start looking inside of yourself figuring out you know what the blockages are um, that are keeping you from um, to show you those things um and and these sessions are are 10 years of therapy. Thank you, Juliana, so much for, for sharing your experience with us. I think that thing you said at the end was it, it felt like 10 years of therapy in, in one session. Uh, Senator Scott Weiner, I'd like to talk to you about your bill. It's it's sponsored, co-sponsored by the Veterans Group where Juliana got help, Heroic Hearts Project. Can you explain, you know, how the idea for this bill came to you? Sure. And thank you so much for covering this important uh, topic. Um, so it, it, the legislation is sponsored by Heroic Hearts as well as another group called VETS that also works with uh, veterans uh, experiencing PTSD, addiction, other mental health challenges, uh, combat veterans. Uh, and right now, these groups are, um, as you just heard, <laughs> having to send these combat veterans to other countries, to Costa Rica, to Peru, to Mexico, to get treatment. And if you, we think to ourselves how outrageous it is that these are people who have gone to war for our country um, who have 
sustained terrible injuries, physical and mental, serving our country. And we're making it illegal for them to get effective treatment in the U.S. and forcing them to travel to another country. That's outrageous. Uh, and so um, I've been, uh, you know, I've been uh, watching this issue for a while. I actually, I first um, was exposed to it about 10 or so years ago where a former colleague of mine and his wife, their teenage son, uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, became addicted to heroin. And he was spiraling towards homelessness and death. Uh, they tried everything, every kind of treatment, every kind of therapy. Nothing was working. And they had means. So they were able to afford the best of the best. Nothing worked. They eventually sent him to an ibogaine program in Mexico. Ibogaine is a plant-based psychedelic. He went through that uh, program in Mexico, and he has not used heroin since. Uh, and, and so that, that's when it first came on my radar. Uh, and then as I watched what was happening, happening in Oregon and in various cities around the country, as part of the movement towards uh, drug decriminalization, uh, the war on drugs has failed. Uh, incarcerating people for using drugs doesn't work. We need to take a health-based approach. Uh, and for psychedelics in particular, uh, the, the mounting evidence uh, of the health benefits of, uh, of these substances is just extraordinary. People whose lives are being saved, and yet we have stuck with this terrible uh, criminalization approach to say, no, you can't have your medicine, it's illegal, and if you possess your medicine, you might get arrested and go to jail. Uh, and so the bill um, simply decriminalizes uh, the possession of, uh, of psychedelics. Um, it actually does not authorize doctors to prescribe um, that would require a change in federal law so that the doctors wouldn't lose their prescribing privileges. Uh, but that, um, we hope, will happen at some point. But for now, we want to make sure that California stops arresting and prosecuting people uh, for possessing psychedelics. Thank you for that clarification, Senator yeah. Weider. And we are going to hear a lot more about your bill. But first, we're going to take a short break. We're talking about proposed state legislation to decriminalize psychedelics with Senator Scott Weiner, representative for San Francisco and author of the bill. Juliana Mercer, a Marine Corps veteran who used psychedelic therapy to overcome trauma. And Dr. Robert Grant, professor of medicine at UC San Francisco. And Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University. We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on decriminalizing psychedelics? Have you or has anyone you know used psychedelics to treat depression or anxiety? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm April Dimbaski. We're talking about proposed state legislation to decriminalize psychedelics with Senator Scott Weiner, representative for San Francisco and author of the bill, 
Juliana Mercer, a Marine Corps veteran who used psychedelic therapy to overcome trauma, Dr. Robert Grant, professor of medicine at UC San Francisco, and Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University. Senator Weiner, I'd love to come back to you and continue talking a little bit more about your bill. It also includes a provision that would, you know, allow for people who've been convicted of possession to have their records expunged. Why did you include this uh, specifically? Um, Yeah, it's important. We're actually going to break that off and do it as a separate um, bill and, and just first get the decriminalization done and then create the path for people to expunge their record. Uh, and this is something that we did with cannabis uh, as well. We first you know, decri- effectively decriminalized it and moved towards legalization and then created pathways for people to expunge their records. Um, you know, the war on drugs, it's hard to describe how destructive the war on drugs has been. Um, it has cost this country, uh, you know, just untold billions um, billions and hundreds of billions of, uh, of dollars. It has, uh, you know, California went from eight, pr- eight state prisons to 32 state prisons because of mass incarceration fueled by drug incarceration, uh, tore apart families and communities. Um, and it did nothing to actually address drug use um, or any of, uh, of, of the issues associated with it. And so a lot of people have um, have criminal records uh, because they were, um, you know, because of especially low level um, drug offenses. Uh, And we want to um, we want to make sure that they can clear their records uh, and not have those convictions hanging over them, which can have implications for housing and for employment. Uh, So it's about saying, listen, we made a mistake uh, by criminalizing these substances. We're moving away from that now. Uh, we don't want to continue to hang this albatross around your neck for the rest of your life. So we're going to let you clear your record. And what's the relationship between decriminalizing drugs for personal use and therapeutic use? How does decriminalization further the goals of therapeutic use? Well, it, it does, because when you um, when, when we when we decriminalize, we're saying that, OK, if you're possessing or sharing uh, these substances, you're not going to get arrested or, or, or incarcerated. Uh, it allows uh, for therapeutic use. Uh, and we're, one of the pieces of this bill is also sets up a working group to advise the legislature on next steps. Like, do we need to create um, a new kind of certification for a kind of counselor who can help people through these experiences. Um, So it will allow for expanded therapeutic use. In terms of a physician prescribing, um, that's a separate thing. And and that really implicates federal law because physicians, um, you know, are not allowed to prescribe uh, um, substances that are are categorically banned under federal law and can lose their license. And it it puts them in in a tough spot. Um, right now, um, ketamine can be prescribed by a physician under federal law, but the others um, can't. And the FDA is moving um, with some of these studies towards, we hope, um, allowing uh, the rescheduling of some of these substances like MDMA, like mushrooms, uh, and that would allow physicians to, uh, to prescribe them. So it's a two-track the decriminalization will allow for expanded therapeutic use, absolutely. Uh, but eventually, we want to, doctors to be able to prescribe in a clinical setting as well. 
Uh, thank you, Senator Weiner. I'd, I'd like to move on to our doctors. But first, I want to take one of our calls, uh, Bastion in Sonoma. Hi. Uh, first of all, thanks for taking my call in this wonderful program. I wanted to applaud um, the direction of this legislation because after reading Michael Pollan's uh, book, uh, How to Change Your Mind, it has completely opened my eyes to the therapeutic power uh, and really the wide benefit and the long buried history of, of, of how therapeutic benefit has been proven of psychedelics. So uh, applause to, to the effort, um, and thank you for uh, putting this topic on. My, my comment would be that, that the flip side of, of psychedelics, so, so one of the things that comes out of Pollan's book is set and setting are very important in the administration and proper benefit of psychedelics. And so in recreational settings, that is often ignored, and in the wrong psychological setup, um, it can even trigger psychotic episodes. So my, my concern would be in all of this um, is, is that, that there would be safeguards and guardrails on, on making sure that legalization of uh, um, psychedelics doesn't sort of result back in, in, in a recreational abuse um, of their incredible power. So I'll, I'll take comments on that off the air, but... Uh, thanks again for this very, very important topic, and, and I hope this legislation yeah. moves forward. Thank you so much, Bastian. Um, you know, I, Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, I'd, I'd love to go to you with this concern that Bastian raises about, you know, are we are we p- p- potentially going to need to brace ourselves for a wave of psychotic episodes? Do you have concerns around this? Well, um, I do, but hopefully we won't uh, commit the same mistake that we did in the 60s where things got out of control and they were used ad lib recreationally. Uh, Let me make a couple of comments uh, and come back to this, though. First, let me just say that uh, I completely agree with the legislation. Uh, These drugs should not be criminalized. There should be decriminalization. Secondly, I enthusiastically endorse their study for therapeutic uses for various types of conditions. Um, But at the same time, I'm very concerned that we're rushing headlong uh, to a point where practice is leaping ahead of knowledge. And uh, the first way in which this is evident is the fact that psychedelics is the term that's being used to define a certain group of psychoactive drugs, uh, but it's being used in a way that's not precise. Psychedelics really refer to uh, uh, what are compounds that have been used by engineers, people's ritualistically for centuries, and then synthetically were replicated by Sandoz chemist Albert Hoffman as LSD. These drugs have in common that they act pharmacologically through uh, binding to the serotonin 2A receptor and inducing a certain type of uh, activation, which causes people to have an alteration in their consciousness and a quasi-mystical state of mind. Um, Ecstasy, MDMA, Ketamine, ibogaine are not classical psychedelics. And so they are different pharmacologies, they have different clinical effects, and they have different potential uses. All of these drugs uh, do have some potential uses. The problem is they have not been studied sufficiently to know what they are. So uh, if we let the genie out of the bottle too soon and base it on the enthusiasm of true believers who have had positive experiences, Uh, were potentially risking trouble. On the other hand, what uh, the uh, military veteran and the uh, state senator have said is true. 
why should people have to go out of the country and find these things in improvised settings that are somewhat uh, 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 illicit? Um, they shouldn't be. There should be a way to make them available, but not in advance of what we know to be the scientific uh, basis of their actions and what their benefits and risks can be. And we have to sort of set up a uh, a paradigm for them to be studied. And the last thing I'll say, and then I'll stop, is if you go on the NIH reporter site, when all the grants funded by the 26 NIH institutes are, are listed, you won't find one study on psychedelic drugs. So if this is such a big thing socially for our population and people are benefiting from it and want to have access to it, why isn't it being studied in a way that it rigorously and systematically should be? Thank you so much, Dr. Lieberman. Uh, we now have uh, Larry Morse on the line. He's the legislative director for the California District Attorneys Association. He was a DA for 12 years and a prosecutor for 27. Um, your organization is opposed to this bill. We just heard from Dr. Lieberman there's not enough study, that maybe we're moving too fast. Uh, why is your group opposed, Larry Morse? Well, good morning. Uh, I endorsed completely what uh, Dr. Lieberman uh, said about the lack of adequate studies. We're, we are talking about powerful, powerful drugs, uh, LSD, uh, you know, I'm of a generation where I literally remember being with people having a extraordinarily bad experience with LSD uh, all through an evening. Uh, and it is a flight of naivety to believe that if we make this more readily accessible, legalize this, that it is not going to be used uh, by by kids. They are going to get access to it. And uh, you know, there's an old saying with LSD, for example, that you're not through with it, it's through with you. It's a 12-hour commitment uh, minimum, and you are uh, not able, like having had too much to drink or smoke too much weed, to go to sleep and wake up the next day. It is done with you. And uh, I think we, many of you saw the case a couple of years ago, two years ago, uh, in uh, Bodega Bay, where a 32-year-old uh, <clears throat> software engineer was with a group of friends over there and ended up taking four hits of, uh, of acid or you know, LSD and, you know, completely flipped out and uh, ended up uh, being charged with attempted murder and running over, uh, you know, pedestrians. I mean, I'm not uh, suggesting that there are not uh, therapeutic uses. I'm quite familiar with, you know, the history of LSD as a uh, as a uh, mental health thing. I know Cary Grant and his wife Betsy Drake uh, used it extensively before it became so popular in the '60s. But we are talking about uh, making a drug more readily available, and it is just denial to suggest that it will not fall into the hands of 15, 16, 17 year olds who will have terrible or terrible, terrifying experiences that have significant uh, likelihood or possibility of long-term effects. Uh, you know, psychosis, paranoia, schizophrenia. This is, this is not like some really, you know, strong weed. These are powerful drugs that have dramatic effects on people's moods and uh, can lead to just horrific 
consequences. Uh, and and, just, and Larry Morse, yeah. um, you know, your group is not the only one opposed to this uh, bill. There are about half a dozen law enforcement groups who are against this bill. They're concerned that, you know, social sharing of these drugs is basically unregulated sharing. And some of them say, you know, the, the penalties that this bill would get rid of actually do work as deterrence. And if we let go of them, we should expect to see an increase of use and selling and an increase of more crime and arrests. Do you see it that way? Or can, can you explain that? Well, you know, I, I, I mean, th- I, I think we were wrong on, on marijuana in many ways. And I have not, speaking as a former district attorney, not necessarily for CDAA, uh, I, you know, I, I think that we uh, were in the wrong direction on public policy with a lot of the uh, penalties that came from, from drug use. But this proposal is wholly different, and you are uh, going to undoubtedly increase the number of people that are going to have uh, mental health, significant mental health uh, uh, side effects as a result of this. And our streets are just thick with people we see every single day on downtown Sacramento. I can't tell you the number of people with mental health problems uh, many of them drug driven, you know, uh, uh, either meth or opioids or other things. I fear far more for the, the social consequences of it uh, than I do the, the criminal consequences of it. And I just can't help thinking of, you know, 17, 18 year old kids at 11 o'clock deciding they want to take a, you know, a hit of blotter or window pane and having no idea what they've just signed up for and the, you know, the deleterious consequences that are going to flow from that. So Thank you so much, uh, Larry Morse. Senator Weiner, what's what's your response to uh, his concerns? Yeah, I'll be honest. It's hard to know where to begin because there was so much inaccurate and over the top uh, that my friend Larry Morse uh, just said. And I do want to thank uh, Larry for acknowledging that the California District Attorneys Association um, opposed uh, legalization of cannabis um, as well. The district attorneys have been opposed to overwhelmingly uh, to <clears throat> criminal justice reform measures and moving away from mass incarceration models in California. And that's the role they've chosen to play, uh, but they're on the wrong side of these issues. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that what's fundamentally wrong with, with the argument that you just heard uh, is it assumes that people are not using psychedelics right now. It assumes that kids are not using psychedelics right now. They are. You can love that or hate that. You can have whatever opinion you want to have about it. People are using it right now, and they're going to continue to use it. And the question for us is, do we continue to criminalize that use? Do we continue to say, that if you are, whether you're a 25-year-old or a 17-year-old using it, do we continue to say that we are going to arrest you and put you in jail? Or do we take a health-based approach? And criminalization of drug possession and drug use has been an abysmal failure. And, And the idea that it's an effective strategy to arrest and prosecute our way out of drug use um, has been proven to fail over and over again. And so all we're saying is let's stop arresting people. Let's take a different approach. There are a lot of substances 
that can be misused, that can have a bad effect, including alcohol. Uh, and we want people to use responsibly. But it's hard to get people to use responsibly when you're pushing them into the shadows by saying you are a criminal if you possess uh, this substance. Uh, and, and so let's take that health and science-based approach and stop with the criminalization. I also just want to stress this bill um, decriminalizes, um, it applies to 21 and older. So if you share psychedelics uh, with someone under 21, you'll be committing a crime. Uh, in addition, um, we, uh, uh, you know, we, well, I'll, I'll stop there. Um, but, you know, I think that was a lot. We just heard a lot of the sky is falling, very similar to remember, if you remember Reefer Madness about how cannabis was destroying the world. It's really the same thing. And, and, and I really hope that we can move away from that false narrative. Thank you, Senator Weiner, And thank you so much, Larry Morse, for joining us. Um, I'd like to move on and hear from some of our callers. Uh, Feminio in Oakland. Hello. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, um, I believe in the, the senators doing a great job. My my question is, um, you know, like kids are going to use drugs no matter what. But I'm asking on a therapeutic level, um, how can the inner city kids and how can somebody um, see? I I went to Mexico and I've used. Um, went through a ceremony and I used it for um, depression. My brother was shot and killed in Oakland and I have PTSD from that, just even living in Oakland. But I believe simple sirens, you know, LSD that will help kids, inner kids that here with PTSD, kids getting shot, their friends getting shot. I think it would clean up and clear a lot of minds up. And, you know, Larry Morse was talking about like a 12-hour hit and stuff. But how can we get uh, facilitators to hold and conduct space and circles like Native Americans for that, for people, you know, of color and how access to the, um, the, you know, you could say. Thank you so much, Feminio. Uh, You're making an excellent point about... Um, kids in Oakland and and the p- potential benefits of these. We're going to continue talking about this after our break, uh, this proposed state legislation to decriminalize psychedelics. We still want to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. We'll be back soon. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm April Dimbosky. We're talking about proposed state legislation to decriminalize psychedelics. And I'd like to turn to Dr. Robert Grant uh, from UCSF. 
Now, we just heard from a caller in Oakland who talked about the potential benefits for inner city kids from these uh, medicines. We've uh, been hearing in the news about uh, an increase in the number of, of studies that are looking at this with potentially, you know, really positive benefits. Can you just ground us in where we are with the science right now? Um, thank you, April, for this important question. Um, psychedelics are uh, already in widespread use in the United States. I mean, surveys have shown that uh, something like 30 million Americans uh, have used uh, psychedelic medicines in their lives, and something like 1 million use them uh, on any given year. So these medicines are being used. Um, they're being used largely in a criminalized context where people um, have to be very shy about um, and talking about how they've used uh, psychedelics and under what circumstances and who provided them and whether that was a good setting for uh, their work. Uh, the huge advantage of this particular legislation is that it, it allows for all of that underground use, which is already happening, to uh, come out and be more public so that people can talk about when their use of psychedelics went well and when it went badly. Um, these kinds of open discussions are not possible now because of criminalization and decriminalization will change that. So we have a wealth of, of information about um, an experience about psychedelics coming from uh, uh, the man uh, from Oakland, from Juliana Mercer. And I want to thank her for her service to the United States. And it does sadden me that she had to go to Costa Rica to find help for her PTSD. And I'm really happy that we're now taking steps to uh, bring these therapies home uh, so that our soldiers who have done so much for our freedom and for our country can receive care that they need right here in their home country. Um, and and uh, uh, forgive me, on the question of, of access, this most recent uh, study that was published about uh, MDMA and PTSD, three quarters of the people who participated in that trial were white. Uh, so, you know, especially in concerns from Feminio in, in Oakland, what do we know about the effectiveness of this drug in people of color? Or, you know, do, do the clinical trials speak to future access problems that might come up around this? Well, um, uh, clinical trials in general tend to recruit uh, predominantly white populations. Um, and we think that that's an issue of trust that, you um, uh, researchers um, need to do more um, to establish trust with communities of color. We do know that communities of color are using uh, these uh, therapies, and we also know that communities of color and queer communities are at much higher risk of having PTSD. So the unmet medical need uh, for those communities of color is enormous and larger than in other populations. And, you know, medicalization pathways left to their on their own without decriminalization will be uh, difficult and delayed and um, and will have even more difficulty uh, recruiting people of color while we have uh, criminalization laws on the books. So this decriminalization law, I believe, will make it easier for the NIH to fund these studies. It will make it easier for uh, people of color to participate in those studies. And it'll make easier make it easier for people who are using these um, medicines therapeutically to uh, talk about their experiences. And that is an issue we could do a whole other show on for for about clinical trials. I'm going to bring in some of the comments that we're getting from our listeners. Henny asks, 
I am 73 years old. I have what I know is PTSD from childhood trauma. In my 20s, I used psychedelics. I was very careful and thoughtful and had friends with me. I had positive results, but it is not a cure-all. I agree that psychedelics can be very useful for treatment of depression and PTSD. However, context is extremely important. I was aware of acquaintances who took high doses and too often did not integrate the insights. Some ended with psychosis. And that is really true. You know, the the studies uh, certainly involve an incredible amount of infrastructure and number of uh, therapy sessions before the uh, the psychedelic experience, and the psychedelic experience has two uh, therapists who uh, stay the entire time, as I understand. Um, so, so it is a different experience to to use it in the community. Uh, we're going to go now to a caller, John in San Francisco. Good morning, and thank you for taking my phone call. My name is uh, John Balbeck, and I thought it might be just helpful to tell my story a little bit. So I I used to work in the U.S. Senate on the Republican side for some very conservative senators, and my my work was a strategist for national security. And when you do that kind of work, you find yourself in and out of some of the most difficult places on the planet. And and for me, it was uh, Afghanistan, Angola, and Nicaragua, and specifically kind of during the 80s, um, during those conflicts in the Cold War, and you know the the work that you do serving the country, it's it you know you, you kind of address the the dark underbelly of humanity so that the rest of America can sleep well at night. And about 20 years later, I started to have nightmares and not sleeping well, and went in um, to my doctors in Western medicine, and the the prescriptions were turned out to be probably worse than uh, what I was dealing with before. I mean, I was handed antidepressants and, and Adderall and it's just this cocktail that I, I, you know, I really kind of went off the rails and it did considerable damage to uh, myself, my family, my wife, my career. And what b- turned me around was turning to plant medicines to clean up both the, you know, mostly the, the, the prescri- prescribed medita- medications that I, that I was given Um and then the the underlying PTSD that was there, and ayahuasca and psilocybin both were extremely helpful. Um, and I don't know if someone's going to say something. And, and the same thing happened with my mother. Um, she's eighty. She was on antidepressants for twenty years. Should have probably been on for only six months. And uh, she went through a psilocybin session at eighty years old with Alzheimer's, and for two weeks she was back to normal. And it's just it's just incredible what these things can do. Um, and this should not be kind of demonized, and I really support what Senator Weiner and others are doing to bring this life-saving, these life-saving plant medicines to the general public. Thank you so much for, for your comments, John. And Dr. Grant, I'd love to have you respond. John is bringing up this point that, you know, a lot of the treatments that we currently have available for PTSD and depression really don't work for a lot of people. Yeah, John's impressions are borne out by uh, the medical literature. The um, standards of care for treatment of PTSD include uh, use of antidepressant medications, uh, SSRIs. Uh, we see uh, responses in, in 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 that kind of tra- treatment that are no better than forty percent, and the response typically does not last even one year. And there are substantial side effects. Um, 
and other kinds of treatment for PTSD uh, also may have efficacy that may be about 50%, but only 7% of people with PTSD are able to tolerate those kinds of therapies. And so we need uh, highly effective, durably effective, and uh, easily tolerable uh, medical approaches for PTSD. And, and, and we already have them, in my opinion. Um, the MDMA, for example, is being developed by the MAPS Organization for Treatment of Severe PTSD. They did six, these two trials, all of which showed um, efficacy over 60% that was durable out to to three years, which is the remarkable thing. Three sessions with these medicines allowed for uh, more than two thirds, uh, up to 80% of people to be PTSD free after three years. And so it's it's just a remarkably effective April, April, strategy I... that... Um, that you know we're 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 not using uh, broadly and i want to ask you about that because there's you know uh also in that trial 32 percent of people who were in the placebo group also recovered enough to no longer qualify for for the diagnosis so this obviously still shows the effect of mdma is really significant but it does sort of make me wonder you know about the impact of just this incredibly intensive therapy? Is is this something that's worth exploring without the drugs? Well, I think we know that psychotherapy can be effective for treatment of PTSD if people are willing to, to undergo it. It can be arduous in the absence of, of MDMA. Psychotherapy for PTSD in the absence of MDMA is, is, it could, is, it includes prolonged exposure. And, um, you know, for many people, prolonged exposure therapy really means uh, trying to face up to your worst fears. And uh, it's arduous and it's difficult. Many people drop out of those programs. Um, With MDMA, that kind of reprocessing of traumatic memories becomes much more acceptable, much more tolerable. And, you know, why, why wouldn't we offer an enhanced version of psychotherapy to our soldiers who are coming home, having faced uh, everyone's worst fears, and they did it on our behalf. And then we're making them take uh, bitter medicine to try to cure their PTSD? No, I think we should be offering them MDMA-facilitated psychotherapy, yeah. which we know is effective. And and Dr. Lieberman, did you want to jump in here? I did. Uh, look, uh, I, I am fully uh, supportive of decriminalization and further research. And as a child of the 60s, I, I have lived experience with all of these compounds. Um, but uh, there is really a lack of scientifically rigorous and dispassionate thinking that's uh, guiding this issue. So, for example, um, the MDMA trial is totally different than the ayahuasca experience that the military veteran that uh, was talking had. That was a psychedelic experience that brought some relief for her. MDMA is not a psychedelic And MDMA acted in this context of what uh, the trial did as an anesthetic within surgery. If you undergo surgery, the pain would be intolerable if you didn't have an anesthetic. So the anesthesia plays a role of enabling you to undergo the surgical procedure. For PTSD, uh, the MDMA acted in a way that was a psychic anesthetic and allowed the uh, uh, traumatized individual to undergo exposure therapy to, uh, uh, to dissipate the emotional uh, trauma associated with that experience. These are two different mechanisms of action, and we need to understand what those are. 
So um, these are substances that opportunistically have been discovered. They're truly unique and potentially have enormous therapeutic value and maybe even have value beyond that for humankind in terms of expanding awareness. But the level of knowledge, scientific knowledge that we can be certain of is still very limited. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we allow the enthusiasm to drive this in a way that it gets out. And and the other thing that has not yet been mentioned, Mm -hmm. April, is the commercialization. So if you decriminalize, that means you won't get locked up, but you still have to get it from illicit sources. Thank you, Dr. Lieberman. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm April Dimboski. We're talking about proposed state legislation to decriminalize psychedelics, and I'd like to turn to some of our comments. A listener asks, a point, a point brought up by the DA was criminal and dangerous behavior brought about by uncontrolled self-medication. I assume judges will remand those people to treatment. We all know that emotional and mental health therapies are overwhelmed and underfunded now. Does the legislation address this aspect? Senator Weiner? Well, Um, I also, uh, one of my roles in the legislature is I chair the Senate Mental Health Caucus and the Select Committee on Mental Health and Addiction. Uh, Expanding treatment for mental health and substance use disorders is a huge priority in the legislature. It's bipartisan. Um, There's really no Republicans, Democrats working together on this because it's something that's impacting all of our communities. And so in the last few years, we've passed some dramatic pieces of legislation to expand access to mental health and substance use disorder uh, treatment by requiring insurance companies to cover more, by expanding what Medi-Cal will cover, uh, by legalizing um, some proven therapies that are, you know, that that have not been accessible here in California, uh, by putting more money into mental health uh, treatment. Uh, So we're working very, very hard Uh, to give people more access to the broad spectrum of mental health uh, challenges that we face in California. It's not part of this bill per se, uh, but it it is absolutely happening and has been happening in in the legislature. And Dr. Grant, I want to bring you in on this question as well, but also this comment from Zoo who asks, how can someone with mental health problems be prescribed ketamine or apply for ketamine therapy in San Francisco? So I'm throwing you two questions there. Well, ketamine is uh, currently available. It's uh, FDA approved in one format and its uh, DEA uh, schedule is such that it can be prescribed. Um, Insurance is not routinely paying for ketamine therapy and yet um, multiple uh, rigorous clinical trials have shown that it is safe and effective for treatment of depression and uh, suicidality. Uh, Ketamine therapy, currently is very expensive because uh, insurance isn't paying for it. Uh, So some people will seek uh, ketamine therapy in uh, non-medical situations. Um, That's, uh, uh, you know, that's uh, potentially hazardous. um, There are clinics, ketamine clinics that have um, sliding scales. I would encourage um, him to explore those possibilities. And did you have a comment on the access to mental health care? 
Well, access to mental health care has been limited uh, in the United States. Again, uh, our health um, care system has not uh, adequately covered um, mental health services. And uh, I think the emergence of these highly effective therapies based on psychedelics um, will change that um, as uh, our mental health teams have more and more capacity to create durable healing for people uh, suffering from PTSD, depression, and substance use disorders. And uh, But clearly some reform in our healthcare system is needed to uh, make <laughs> mental health services more widely available whenever needed. Thank you. And we're approaching the end of the show, but I wanted to get another caller in, Linda in Kentfield. Hey, I agree with Dr. Lieberman and Mr. Morris on taking a cautious approach. I think we can't underestimate the public health impact and on young people. I know several callers mentioned that they're doing it anyway, but we know that their brain is wired in, in so differently and that the impact of any substance on them is detrimental. It rewires their brain. We also know that when we legalize a substance, as we've seen with cannabis, that their perception of harm goes way down and they no longer think it's harmful. And we know with cannabis that today's product is not like Dr. Lieberman and mine back in the 60s. And when you legalize a psychedelic, you are opening up um, a tremendous risk for public health and young people. I agree that more research needs to be done and we need to take a much more cautious approach in decriminalizing it and getting people the help they need or using it effectively for mental health um, treatment, I think is is vital. We need to increase all mental health access. Thank you. We aren't doing it. Thank you so much, Linda. I'm afraid we've reached the end of the hour, but uh, really grateful to you, all our callers, all our guests for a very rigorous debate. Thank you for joining us, Senator Scott Weiner, author of the bill, Juliana Mercer, a Marine Corps veteran who used psychedelic therapy to overcome trauma. Dr. Robert Grant, professor of medicine at UC San Francisco, and Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University. We were also joined earlier by Larry Morse, legislative director for the California District Attorneys Association. You've been listening to Forum. I'm April Dimbosky. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.